can say it again, church. Amen. Probably there are not more familiar words in the Christian tradition than those we will study the next four weeks together. In fact, I can say the first two, and you, without any hesitation, will fill in the next 51 words. What is, what is it? Hmm. Should we say it together? I will hear some old King James language and I'll hear something rather new, but let's say together, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You hear the little trespasses? Some say trespasser instead of debtor. Probably no words are that familiar to us in the Christian worship experience than those we've just recited together. Do you remember when you first learned them? Do you remember when you could say all of it together without cheating and reading off of the pages of your Bible? Maybe if you've been a teacher in the children's divisions in the Sabbath school rooms or with your own children or grandchildren, do you remember placing their little hands together and teaching them to pray as you pray? I don't know how old you were when you first knew the Lord's Prayer, but I have to share with you this morning this two-and-a-half-year-old child who doesn't only just say it, watch as she sings the Lord's Prayer. good homiletics professors, preaching teachers tell you you never put anything in a sermon just for a smile, just to, for a laugh. That's wrong, isn't it, Lou? It's just, why not listen to that? 
Doesn't it bring back memories? You notice she knows evil is the bad word. You know, her hands start going when the big work, you know, the big ending is coming. She doesn't quite know how to say detours. Do you remember when you first learned for yourself or taught your own children or grandchildren? Words most familiar in the Christian worship experience. When Jesus taught these words, they were sitting on a hillside. We'll study from Matthew chapter 6 for the next few weeks. But you know, and I want to make sure you know, these words are also recorded in Luke 11, and they're recorded one place outside of Scripture and teaching for the disciples in the early Christian church in the Didache. We'll study from Matthew 6 because it's the most familiar to, to what you've been taught to memorize, what I've been taught being raised in the church. Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer while they're sitting on a hillside very early in the beginning of the gospel story. In fact, so early Jesus is born and we don't learn a whole lot. John the Baptist comes out in the wilderness. Jesus is taken for temptation out in the wilderness, calls his disciples, heals just a few people, a few short verses there, and then they sit on the hillside and Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins to te teach about those who mourn and those who suffer and the persecuted ones. Teachings about the salt and the light of the earth. Kind of new and improved teachings for the first century about divorce and murder and adultery. It's on that very same hillside. In that context, Jesus then begins a conversation about acts of faithfulness. Faithful people like us. What, what is it to take care of those who are in need? And what about prayer? And what about acts of fasting? Oh, the sermon's not over. I haven't even called for the offering. This sermon goes on and on. There will be more. More for Jesus to teach about, about the wise and the foolish builders. And it will go on and on for a while. But in this context on the hillside, we're given these words that are so familiar to us today almost at the very beginning of Jesus' teaching. And it begins with the words, And when you pray. It is not, and we should be careful to notice that back in verse 5, it is not if you decide to pray. It is not if you feel like praying today. It is not if, if the Spirit moves you, you should pray like this. The Bible says when you pray, this is how you'll go about it. No one interrupts Jesus that day and says, but Jesus, I'm just not really sure about prayer. It confuses me. Does God really hear what I'm saying? Why should I say to God what God already knows? You know, I've never been much of a praying person. I just kind of let the misses do that with the children. Those things which we say today, those things which make us anxious about the praying life probably would make no sense to Jesus, the Jewish followers gathered there that day. For in their way of life and thinking and being, prayer was living. Pray when they lie down and they rise up and they sit to eat. Yes, praying in the temple, reciting memorized prayers throughout the day wouldn't make any sense to followers of Jesus. The question we ask of one another, so how's your prayer life going? For them, prayer and life are one path. Jesus says to them then, when you pray... Do it like this, beginning in verse 8, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 5. When you pray, 
Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Two cautions from Jesus before he teaches them the prayer. The first caution is, this is not about being observed. Don't worry that your praying needs to be eye-catching to someone else. And second of all, you don't need a, a special vocabulary for prayer. You don't need an impressive, rich language. I don't know where you grew up in the faith tradition. Where I grew up, we always knew when there was some, you know, a person of mature faith praying. The vocabulary always changed. When I was a little girl watching, you know those kind? who come, and out of them comes this impressive vocabulary of prayer, which made at least me and many others think, well, I, maybe I shouldn't try praying. My, my prayers don't sound like that. And Jesus says an impressive vo vocabulary for prayer is not a requirement. Two words of caution before he moved on in verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed. Be your name. It is the one prayer we can all pray, and perhaps the one prayer we have spent the least amount of time with. I read one author recently who said, you know, the Lord's Prayer is not about good theology, and that's just, that was a horrible statement for someone to write. The Lord's Prayer is about good theology, but probably theology we really don't study much. Maybe you are li like me. I've sort of treated the Lord's Prayer as the prayer for special occasions, like when many of us are gathered, or for communions, or weddings, or holidays. Maybe that's why we don't know so much about the Lord's Prayer. We know the words, but the context out of which it came. I would guess that more of us know the story of the writing of the Star-Spangled Banner than, than we understand the birthing of the Lord's Prayer. We know, don't we? The War of 1812, we know by 1814, the battle on the East Coast and the British trying to overtake Baltimore. We know Francis Scott Key and his friends are at a distant watch, distance watching as Fort McHenry is bombed and bombed and bombed. It feels like it goes on forever. And then eventually the smoke settles and Francis Scott Key will later write, when that smoke settled, what? The flag was still there. He'll pin that poem a few days later. We know when we sing those words where they came from, how it happened. With the Lord's Prayer, it happens at the very beginning of the gospel story. And it's interesting to me that when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, he outlines for them what their lives are going to be about, and they can have no way of knowing that the beautiful summary they are being given is like the mission they are about to begin. They can't possibly know yet. They haven't spent that much time with Jesus that the words that they're being taught are summary ideas for what the kingdom of God is about, for what God's agendas look like in this world. 
that there really is a good God and that evil is a real force to be reckoned with and that humans are bound with God in this agenda and this is what salvation will look like. That is the Lord's Prayer when Jesus goes on to say to them, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. We will get hungry, give us our bread. Forgive our debts, we need to survive. Lead us not into the evil. It's a summary of the kingdom that Jesus is going to teach the disciples about. The real issues they'll find themselves involved with. Blessed are the meek and those who mourn and those who are persecuted and search after righteousness. Yes, that's what they will be doing now the next few years together. When the Lord's prayer is first heard, the disciples can't possibly know what's, what they're being taught. And maybe this is also why the Lord's Prayer, besides that title, is called the Our Father. And it's called the Disciples' Prayer. And I especially like the title, the Kingdom Prayer, because it summarizes God's kingdom. It's a prayer of first priorities. It's a prayer of ultimate concerns, what is on God's mind. And therefore, when we begin to pray it, what comes to our mind. I don't know what you've been praying this week and this month, your ultimate concerns. My, have I heard ultimate concern prayers over the years. We all have them day by day, week by week. One child in the church I remember several years ago whose ultimate concern was her lost tooth that came out during church, and they were so prepared for that tooth to fall out that they came to church with a little baggie. Mom and dad put the tooth in the baggie, and guess what happened? baggy lost in a really big church. So the ultimate concern, the ultimate prayer for weeks and weeks, dear Jesus, help me find my tooth. And again the next Sabbath, Pastor Chris, did you find my tooth? Didn't find. Dear Jesus, help me find my tooth. We prayed that ultimate prayer for so many weeks. I was ready to go find some baby teeth and put them in a little baggy and give them to her. Look, God found your teeth. I don't know what your prayer of ultimate concern is this week or this month. The Lord's Prayer is God's ultimate concern. It's a prayer prayed from above, a perspective from above, and therefore when we pray it, we, we have an adjustment of our lenses and, and our eyesight from above. And I'd like to offer just a couple of criteria this, this month as we study the Lord's Prayer together, how we might read it and how we might interpret it together. I would like to suggest that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ultimately understand we are praying something only God can accomplish. Hallowed be your name, let your kingdom come, your will on earth. We are praying for something humans cannot bring about. We understand when we speak these words, only God is capable. Yet at the same time, we understand when we speak these words that we're entering into a partnership with God. That's what covenant people do. That's why Israel knew how to pray these prayers. That when you pray this prayer, you're, out, you're obligating yourself. You're inserting yourself into God's agenda. Yes, I'm praying for something only God can do. But I understand when I pray this prayer that I am now partnering with God when it comes to this agenda in the world. That's one 
one criteria when we read the Lord's Prayer. Keep in mind, there's a human and a divine component to the prayer. Second, there's, a, there's very much a, a question, is this a prayer for today or is this a prayer for someday way beyond the blue? People ask that question. Well, it's a prayer for later. We're praying for that day someday when God will come and the king will sit on the throne and there won't be death or dying or sadness. Well, it is a prayer for that day and for and for a kingdom that's finally at ease, and for God to bring this about, while at the same time, it is a prayer for today and every day. My choices today, your choices today, ethical choices, godly choices, because we understand in today where we live today is being illuminated by tomorrow. That which we wait for is that which we work for. So it is a prayer that has both locations and times in mind. Yes, someday beyond the blue. Yes, also right now, today, when I pray this prayer. So when we come to the first petition, hallowed be your name, we bring those criteria with us. Hallowed be thy name. We're praying for God to hallow God's name, to make God's name sacred and holy and perfect and absolutely opposite and free of profanity or sin or any stain. God, make your name sacred and holy and perfect today. Really, do we need to ask God to do that? It's a question. Can humans ask God to do that? Probably for the Jewish audience listening to this prayer, they may think in the back of their mind of the third commandment. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's very similar to this. It's a commandment about, about not dishonoring God's name. A law for them. It's not an option. They go to bed and they rise up with this law on their hearts and in their lives. Make sure whatever you do today that you've honored God's name. It's a law. We have a new law in California this week, by the way. Are you law-abiding citizens in church? You, you are in church. Answer carefully. The hands-free law. These are the signs we saw on the freeway starting last weekend, correct? And I understand from the, some of the reports in the paper that the California Highway Patrol and the sheriffs and local Local city police had some interesting conversations Tuesday, Wednesday, as they pulled people over who were not law-abiding. I understand more than one California Highway Patrol officer saw a cell phone up here by the ear, but as soon as the motorist went by, they pitched that phone down to the floorboard of the car. Flying phones in the cars. CHP says, one minute they're on it, one minute it's on the floor. People pulled over who says, no, it's not my cell phone. I'm just adjusting my Bluetooth right here. You see, it's just my Bluetooth. One person pulled over who actually said, I just got here from China. I just got off the boat. I don't know about this law. Person who said, you know, I'm from Chicago. In Chicago, this is legal. What's the problem? It's the law. I understand that the Caltrans was asking for help with a campaign slogan. I just learned this recently. They came up with It's the Law, but apparently they asked for some help the last few weeks, asked citizens to give some suggestions about what they should call the campaign rather than this. Some of the runner-up uh, runner ideas, hands-free or pay the fee. I particularly like this one being the parent of uh, young adult women. 18 and over, hands-free. 18 and under, hands-off. Good, no? 
hands-free, it's the law, that's what won. The last one is, the last slogan submitted was, shut up and drive. (laughs) It's the law. So I imagine when Jesus is saying to the disciples and those on the hillside, the first petition, hallowed be thy name, they understand because for them, that's what life has been about. Their God, who is good and holy and sacred, they understand that only God ultimately can do that, but they are also pulled into that commitment with God. They have been bound by that commandment since the Exodus covenant that I will not do anything today or this week that will dishonor the good name of God, the sacred holiness of God. I will not take away from it, distract from it, abuse that. I bear that imprint when I'm a child of God and when we're followers of Jesus. That's the imprint we carry with us in the world, the sacred holiness of God. For them, it's the law. Don't abuse that. Don't take away from that. So when they pray, hallowed be thy name, that's what they're agreeing to today. My choices and actions, my relationships, my conduct. I will do my part to contribute to the sacred, holy name of the good God. And hopefully, as Jesus said already earlier in Matthew 5, when people see your good works, they will glorify the Father who's in heaven. When we participate and contribute to the sacred, good, holy, uniquely other good name and character of God in the world, it is for the purpose of pointing people to God in heaven that they might glorify and participate that way. Hallowed be your name. That's what we mean when we say those words. I choose to join God in an act only God can do but I have a part from here below. It will be the kind of prayer that will slowly realign you and me as we pray these prayers. And I invite you over the next few weeks, just take one petition at a time, would you? And thoughtfully, in a planned way this week, recite, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, sacred be your name, holy be whatever language you use, that's meaningful to you, hallowed be your name, it will begin to realign your vision. You'll get a a view from above, a, a view that's a little more broad, perhaps getting closer to what God sees. You know, after church on Sabbath, when we were growing up, my father often put the four of us kids, I don't know how he did all four, but four of us, little ones, in a little airplane. He got, had his, his pilot's license. We would take off from a little tiny airport in Vancouver, Washington, and we would circle the Clark County and adjoining areas on Sabbath afternoon. And from above, I could see green fields and little valleys and creeks that went forever. I could see evergreens as far as I could look. I could see Mount, not only Mount Hood but, and Mount St. Helens, but Rainier and over to Bend. The view from above I could see as far as the eye could go. Green fields, and during the summer and the fall, they turned amber-colored while the bales of hay were waiting to be picked up. A view from above I never could see. Anybody sort of moving around their yard. I couldn't see people in conversation or laughing or playing or weeping. But for sure, my view from above included all of that. It just included a lot more. 
I could see the neighboring states. I could see crises several states away I would never know about. The view from above. If we pray the Lord's Prayer, that's the kind of view we will move towards. We'll start to see what it is God's seeing when God looks at us. And the ultimate concern prayer on your list this week, the closer we move to the view from above, we will find whatever is on your prayer list this week is already on God's. And when we move to the view from above, we'll find out that what's on God's list is that which we now pray for. It, it moves over and becomes ours when we have a view from above. If we truly choose to join Jesus praying this prayer, the kingdom prayer, I believe it'll change us day by day, bit by bit, just reorient us to kingdom concerns, ultimate concerns, God's concerns. It is significant that in this prayer, it is only one part verbal or one part stillness with God even. There comes a time when the praying is over and Jesus gets up off the hillside with his disciples and they, they move on out and they begin to work for, enact that which they just prayed for. So prayer ultimately has an action component. It isn't, prayer isn't all still and silence. If we pray this prayer, it'll move us to act and move and behave and engage in our world. Prayer causes movement in disciples. That's what happens when our vision is realigned from above. Jesus asked the disciples to not only pray the prayer, but then he invited them to get up and live the prayer with him. The Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, the King's Kingdom Prayer. Have you prayed the prayer that way before? Have you prayed the prayer hoping it will realign and reorient your vision in the world? That's what we'll do for four weeks together. Now, I don't know if it catches you like it catches me, but it happens over and over again in the biblical conversation that God takes people just like us and invites us to do something people just like us cannot do. God's asking you and me to help make his name sacred sacred and holy in the world this week. Make God's name the opposite of profanity, free from sin, holy, good, pure, righteous. That's what we're being asked to do in the world this week. Now, I know myself, I know a few of you too. Did you come in here this morning sacred and holy and upright and proper and perfect? Who can do what Jesus invites us into? I'm amazed again and again and again in the Bible that regular people like us, marred with sin and disease and mistake, are invited into something so sacred and perfect. Who could do this? You know, I've been thinking about Wimbledon off and on this morning. Even before I got up to preach, I'm wondering what's going on in Wimbledon. That's not a very sacred holy thought for the divine hour. And these are the people that we are. And yet God asks you to participate with God in such a sacred, perfect, holy act. 
Does it surprise you like it surprises me? I have a special connection with the Lord's Prayer, and all of you who are musical will understand, especially if you play the piano and you've ever been an accompanist in the church, there will come a time somebody travels through your little church and they're going to need you to play the Lord's Prayer for a soloist. And I remember when I was a young teenager, age 12, 13, 14, needing to learn the Lord's Prayer because I was so full of anxiety I was going to get called on to play this and I wouldn't know how. Now these are the fingers God gave me. This is as long as they are, this is it. Mike, would you join me for a minute? Because you heard Mike at the piano earlier, and everyone loves to hear Dr. Philman play, but I would like you to see how long Mike's fingers are. <laughs> and give them a view over there. All right. They're all feeling badly now, Mike, for me. Thanks. Those are the fingers Mike got. These are the fingers I got. I wanted to be a concert pianist. My father told me I would never make enough money. I should go get a better-paying job. So every time I sit down with the Lord's Prayer, I am very aware of how incapable I am. And just as I would get it learned, somebody would come into town and they'd need it in a different key. But they'd need it in 20 minutes. I don't have time to go home and practice. I'm never more uptight than when playing this song at the piano growing up in the church because I'm very aware these are the fingers I got and that song requires another inch and a half, God. And so every time I play that song, I am aware that I cannot. And the more I practice, I can practice all month, and it really won't sound much different because my reach will always and only ever be this far. It's all I can do. And I'm looking at a whole church full of you. It's all you can do this week. You are not capable of sacred perfection this week in the name of God, and neither am I. Yet I understand that God can take even little fingers like this, can take imperfect people like us, who will pray that prayer and live in that spirit. And by the grace of God, people will see our Savior. God can do that with us. In that spirit, I'm going to play the benediction this morning. Imperfections and all. And I invite you to close your eyes and meditate on the lines we've read. I invite you to close your eyes and meditate on how powerful it is to be human, scarred with sin, invited to make God's good name sacred and known in the world.